Good morning. Um, my name's Luke. I'm one of the elders here, one of the leaders here at Life Church. Um, if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. Uh, so why don't we open that up uh, and let's get going from there. Just reading the first verse. Paul says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now I love the Bible. I love the Bible because it's very real. Here in this letter, Paul, who's a real person who lived in the first century, is writing to a real church family in a real place with real issues and actually very real questions. Paul starts this section of his letter, 12 chapters in, say, now concerning, now concerning the spiritual gifts. What Paul is doing there is he's actually replying to a letter the church wrote him. In chapter 7, we read, uh, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and he talks to them about marriage and family and sexuality. Here in chapter 12, he starts again. He uses that little phrase. Now concerning the spiritual gifts. Because the church in Corinth had written to Paul, asking or at least talking about spiritual gifts, hoping that Paul would help them. And this morning, that's what we're going to do as well. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. We're a charismatic people. We believe that God is among us as we gather together. He's not a dead God. He's not a distant God. He's a living God and he is with us. And so passages like this, 1 Corinthians 12, are very important passages indeed. And what I hope we'll see this morning is that the gifts that God wants to give us as a church family are just that. They're gifts. Gifts are good things, right? You don't give a nasty gift to someone. If, if you do, it's not really a gift. And so what I hope we see this morning is that it is a privilege that God would give gifts to his people. And also, as we see the privilege, I also pray that we would raise our expectations of what that would look like. If God is really among us, if, if he has good things he wants to give us, then what does that look like that God will bring and give us good gifts. Remember prayer, uh, sorry, privilege and expectation. They're two of the themes I want us to be thinking about as we go through this Holy Spirit series. The privilege of the Spirit with us, the expectation that that brings. Before I dive in, um, I want to recommend this book. If you want to go deeper, this is a great book. Uh, this is called Paul, uh, The Spirit and the People of God. Uh, it's written by a great theologian called Gordon Fee. Some of you might know his book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Um, that's probably his most famous book. Uh, but this is brilliant. It's not just on spiritual gifts. That's one chapter of about 14, I think. Um, it's relatively readable. I wouldn't say super readable. You've got to work at it a bit. But it's a great one if you want to, at least in the letters of Paul, really grapple with what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. He writes a very massive commentary on it as well, if you want to go even deeper than that, which I, find, I found very helpful. But I've read this one cover to cover. Um, and that's great. So do ask me about that if you want to know more. Okay, let's go back to the passage. We're kind of going to go uh, a few verses at a time through, and we're going to see some of the things that God has to say. So let's read again from verse 1, but now all the way through to verse 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one's speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. 
So the church in Corinth has asked Paul a question. They've written him a letter. We don't have that letter. That would be great, wouldn't it? But we know he must, they must have written him something because he's replying to them, now concerning the spiritual gifts, he says. And they're asking him about spiritual gifts. And they're asking because they've had issues with spiritual gifts. Now, if you read chapter 12 and then go on to read chapter 13 and chapter 14, you get, start to get a flavour of the issues. But what's important to know is that this church was not a church primarily of Jewish background, but of Gentile background, non-Jewish. Paul says it. He says, now, when you were pagans, most of the people in the church came from a pagan background. They knew what the Roman temples looked like. They knew the sorts of kind of spiritual experiences that went on in those temples. They were varied. There were many, but they were often chaotic, sometimes quite scary. They're often loud, uh, sometimes very uh, immoral to a Christian person. There was all sorts that went on in the Roman temples, places where people lost control and places which were very chaotic. And it seems like some of the new converts to Christ, some of them are quite worried about what the church looks like right now. And others of them were really excited about the church being quite unhelpful ways because there's all sorts of issues going on. And what it seems that they wrote to Paul about is that there was a group in the church who had become obsessed with speaking in tongues. If you read particularly chapter 14, that comes out very clearly. They become obsessed. Most of the gathering was just speaking in tongues. No one knew what was being said. No one could follow what was happening. It looked like people were out of control. And more than that, it seems like people had a bit of a sense of spiritual superiority. I've got the gift and you don't. I'm better than you. Again, if you read through these three chapters together, you get this sense that Paul is correcting them. Oh no, you can't say, I don't need you, you're not important. And so there was all sorts of funny, unhelpful, unhealthy things going on with the use of spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church. An unhelpful unhealthy mix of kind of baggage from the pagan past and a misunderstanding of what the gifts were. And so what Paul does in these 11 verses we're going to focus on today, through the rest of chapter 12, and then even through 13 and 14, is Paul takes great care to throw out the bathwater, but keeping the baby safe. He takes great care to say, look, you are using the spiritual gifts really badly, but the gifts themselves are good. The gifts themselves are good if you use them correctly. He corrects the chaos, the being out of control, the obsession over one gift to have a sort of spiritual superiority. But at the same time, he teaches them, no, it is a privilege that God is among us by his Holy Spirit. Paul wants to reassure the church that the gifts are good because God is good, but they must use them correctly. I wonder what baggage we come with this morning when we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When we think about um, another bit of jargon, the charismatic gifts, as sometimes what churches call them, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I wonder what we come with this morning. Maybe we're not really sure what, what they are. You don't really know what I'm talking about when I talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard someone come to the front of church before and kind of speak in a gibberish language and you think, I don't really know what's happening there. Maybe you've heard a fellow Christian say, I feel God is speaking, and you don't quite know what they mean. For others, maybe you're fearful of the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe even resentful. Maybe you've been in context where someone has said, this is a word from God, and has used that to hurt or manipulate. Maybe some of us come with disappointment. 
maybe of a time gone by when we felt close to God, when we saw God doing many things, maybe disappointment in how church is right now. Maybe a sense of, oh, is this really all there is? Maybe some of us come and we, we hear the, that we're talking about spiritual gifts this morning and we think, well, oh, that's nice, but it's not for me. There are other bits I like about church. There are other things about following Jesus which I'm excited about. Someone else can do the spiritual gifts. My friends, there can be bad uses of spiritual gifts. Paul writes three chapters <laughs> correcting bad uses of spiritual gifts. But when we understand them correctly, they're gifts. They're good things from God that he wants to bless us with. And you know, something more important than, than being gifts is they're spiritual. Now, in our context, we hear the word spiritual, and some of us will think kind of new age hippie, like touching another dimension, going to another plane. Uh, if you're younger, if you're kind of in the Gen Z or teenage generation, you'll have a bit of a sense of people are exploring spirituality in new ways, but it has nothing to do with God. That's not what spiritual means in the Bible. When we hear spiritual in the Bible, nine times out of 10, it means of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual gifts are a good thing to us because they're of the Holy Spirit. They're from God himself. Life in the Holy Spirit is a privilege. It's not some vague spiritual experience. It doesn't lead us astray like the mute idols did in the Corinthian city. It doesn't, it's not pointless. It's not lifeless. No, it leads us to a life where we say Jesus is Lord. It leads us to a place. It blesses and helps us do that. And so Paul starts in these first three verses just kind of addressing their pagan background, but saying, no, true spirituality being people of the Holy Spirit lifts us to be people who worship God, who say Jesus is Lord. But now, in the rest of the verses we're going to read, he unpacks what that looks like with relation to the spiritual gifts. And one of the really, really important things that he is going to home in on is the fact that the gifts aren't there for spiritual superiority. I'm better than you because I've got this. Actually, quite the opposite. God gives gifts not for me, but for us to build us together as a people. Let's read verse four to six. Now there are a variety, sorry, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Do you see the little pattern that Paul uses there? Varieties but the same God. Varieties, but the same Lord. Varieties, but the same Spirit. The same, the same, the same. Paul makes a beautiful point. He makes a beautiful point about how we're meant to use the gifts of the Spirit. And it's based in who God is himself, because God is one. And yet he is one in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in the beauty of his diversity, we see profound unity. And Paul wants to teach us something about how we use the gifts of the Spirit based in the nature of God himself. Because the Corinthian church needed help. I don't know about you, you might have felt that we talk about kind of unity, one anothering. We've done that quite a lot over the last few years. I think it's because it's there in the New Testament quite a lot. And I think it's because it's not easy. I don't know about you, but it's hard to live with one another, isn't it? It is. We don't, maybe don't say it out loud because some of us are polite in English, some of us aren't. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to live together with one another. And the Corinthian church had the same problem, if not more so. 
In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to them because there's this pseudo-celebrity culture. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Jesus is my favourite. They were like dividing over who they thought was the best apostle or who was the best person. In chapter 11, Paul writes to them again. He's correcting them now because it seems like the rich people are getting early to their gatherings and they're scoffing communion. They're getting drunk on the wine and the poor people in the church who have to work longer hours and harder days, they turn up to communion and there's just a bunch of drunk rich people and no communion left. And Paul's saying, what do you, no guys, don't be separate, be one. And here again in chapters 12 all the way through to 14, he's addressing, yes, spiritual gifts, but he's talking about matters of unity. He's saying, no, don't have spiritual superiority. Don't say, I've got it and you don't. Don't be chaotic so no one can be built up. He's saying we must be one. And it's easy to laugh at a church like Corinth. I don't know if you've read the Bible much and kind of thought, gosh, they're a car crash. Look at them, they're a car crash, and they are a car crash. But when we think about the spiritual gifts, how quickly do we think about my gifts? How quickly do we go there? What are my gifts? As if there was some kind of spiritual CV, some kind of way to show how holy and spiritual we are. We can go there quite quickly in our own minds. But if there's one thing that Paul is trying to teach the church in Corinth and that we must take away with this morning, God gives gifts, not for me, but for us, for us together. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the people of God. The oneness of the people of God is so important to him. And once you know that, you start to see it all over scripture. You think of passages like Joel 2, 28, which we've probably said every week so far, where, where Joel, before Jesus comes, uh, sometime before Jesus comes, is prophesying of the day when the Spirit will be poured out on all the people of God. And what does he say? There's a time coming afterwards when I will pour out my Spirit on, is what God is saying, all flesh. Yeah? So there isn't first and second class citizens. The Spirit is the great unifier. He's the one who's poured out on all of the people of God. Or we could think of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, which is the most profound passage about how the division between Jew and Gentile, the most historic and uh, difficult divides in that time, how Christ has brought them together and it's the Spirit who unites them. In chapter 2.28, Paul says, For through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one Spirit to the Father. Later in chapter 4, he urges the whole church, Jew and Gentile, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager. Work for it. Fight hard for it because it's what the Spirit does. It's what the Spirit wants. Now I could talk about the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one? Love. Well, you can't love without other people. Joy. Well, maybe you could do that by yourself. But what about peace? Peace is relational peace. It's a lack of conflict. Patience. You can't be patient by yourself. You can't. It's a relational thing. I could talk about uh, the temple imagery in 1 Peter. That's where the spirit resides, among us as the people, but we're a temple built together. You see, everywhere you see the spirit, he's building us together as a people. The spirit is a spirit of unity. And if we don't understand that, we will not understand properly how to use the gifts of the spirit. Actually, we won't understand anything about walking with the spirit, but we're looking at the gifts of the spirit this morning. Being one people is so precious to God. It's not a side project. It's not something which we'll kind of put up with because there's stuff we want from God or stuff we want from church. Actually, it's the great delight of the Father to see his children as one, 
who forgive, who are patient, who work through differences and come through the other side for his glory. (coughs) The Spirit wants to build us up together and he wants us to be a display to the world that Christ has united us. We're not out for our own our own kind of fame. We're not there to show how great we are, but as we love one another, we show how wonderful Jesus is. But unity doesn't mean uniformity. Actually, unity can't mean uniformity. If everyone's the same, you're not united, you're the same. (laughs) It's just easy. Unity comes in a context where we're all different people, where we struggle to be united. We're going to celebrate nations. We're going to have a Christmas party which will celebrate different cultures. That's a wonderful thing because it's not an easy thing. When you come together, loads of different cultures, you clash. You have to work it out. But that's a beautiful thing when we come together and we work it out and we celebrate one another and we put up with one another. It's a beautiful thing that God wants to do. And Paul, wonderfully in this passage, roots the unity that we must find in God himself. Who are the gifts of the Spirit given by? One God, the Father. One Lord, Jesus. And one Spirit. I don't know if you know the famous 1 Corinthians 13, the next uh, passage, uh, the next chapter in this is read at many weddings. It's the passage about love. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. That passage is stuck straight between two passages about how to use the spiritual gifts. It's there for a reason. Love is at the heart of what we do. Let's keep reading. Um, Let's read again from verse four, but let's include verse seven now. Now, therefore, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There it is. Again, it's for the common good. It's for the goods of all of us. Now, I love these four verses together. Because did you notice Paul uses four different ways to describe the gifts of the Spirit? And I think all four of them illuminate something to us. So let's just take a second and look at those four things. Sorry if this feels a bit like an English comprehension test. Do any of you still have like nightmares about going in and doing certain exams at school? Mine is English comprehension. No, is that no one else? If I say like, oh, you've got a maths exam, there's none of you starting to sweat already. Yeah, a few of you. Okay, we'll do a bit of comprehension, but it's okay. That was my hard one, so I'm embracing my fear. Um, So how does Paul describe the gifts? One, he says they're gifts. They're varieties of gifts, he says. We've already looked at this. They're kindnesses of God. They're good things. God is wanting to do us good by giving them to us. And so good things, they're not to be feared. They're not to be dismissed either because God wants to give them to us. Well, what's the second thing? He says they're varieties of service. Again, we've been talking about this. The gifts are given to serve one another to build up one another for the sake of others. Using spiritual gifts selfishly is using them wrong. Using them selflessly is using them right. Thirdly, he says they are empowered activities. He says there are varieties of activity and each one empowered by God. Isn't that wonderful? These are not trivial things, but it's the very working of God among us. He gives these gifts to work in power among his people. We must not dismiss or take lightly the work of the Spirit. But now we get to the fourth one. And this is my favorite. 
You're not meant to have favorite bits of the Bible, are you? But this is the best. He then says, each one is a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. They're manifestations of the Spirit. Now, some of you, again, who are a bit younger, if you're kind of, I don't think this is a millennial thing, really. It's probably more of a Gen Z thing. It's probably more of you're on TikTok, you're aware of this stuff. But manifesting has become a thing. Some of you would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's fine. Manifest, in, in kind of the young adults uh, generation, manifesting has become a thing, right? And it's nothing to do with God. It's where you kind of think stuff into being. I'm going I'm to manifest that job. I'm going to manifest good health for my date. I don't know what it is. That is not what Paul is talking about here, just to be clear. Before manifesting became a kind of a cool new spiritual thing, it simply meant for something that's unclear to make it clear or something that's intangible that you kind of can't get a hold of to make it tangible. What's Paul saying here? The gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. In other words, the God you cannot see is working among you and the gifts of the Spirit are ways you see that. This is the wonderful thing. Gifts of the Spirit, they're not, they're not like an absent father who misses another birthday and sends an expensive present in his place. Gifts of the Spirit are God himself with us, working among us. They're not something detached from God. They are God here with us, working in various ways. They are manifestation of the Spirit. Okay, so the gifts are good. The many and varied, it's God among us working, all wonderful things. But it begs the question, what are they, right? We've got so far, Paul's about to start listing a few gifts that he thinks are good and that he wants to see in the church. Now, I don't think the list we're about to read is exhaustive, okay? I don't think it's exhaustive because at the end of the same chapter, which we won't get to today, he makes a slightly different list for a slightly different reason. In Romans 12, he makes a different list for different reasons. And in Ephesians 4, he makes a very different list for different reasons. Uh, and you, so you see different lists. So it's not exhaustive, but what I think Paul is doing here is he's giving examples of wonderful gifts God wants to give when we gather together at a time like this, when we gather together as the people of God. Now, I particularly say when we gather together as the people of God, because that's the context Paul is writing into pretty much from chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians um, going on, he's talking about the gathered worship of the people of God. Now, does God do wonderful, miraculous things outside of these times? Yeah. We looked at Acts 4 a number of weeks ago as a church family, uh, where God accompanies our witness of the gospel with signs and wonders. But here, he's talking about how as our Father, he loves to meet with us in a special way when we gather as the people of God by his Spirit. So should we go through the list? Just checking you're all still awake. Um, see, I said about some of you breaking out into cold sweats because of exams. Some of you are now getting excited we're getting to lists, aren't you? Some of you love lists. I know it. Some of you write lists just to tick off lists. I'm not looking at my wife. Um, <laughs> let's look at Paul's list. He starts this. Let's go again from verse 7 and run into it. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common goods, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. The word utterance is a bit of a funny word, especially if English isn't your first language. It means words of, speaking, speaking wisdom, speaking knowledge, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. What's a word of wisdom? Well, we could guess, and we might think it's maybe giving your mate who's in kind of a tough spot a bit of good advice, 
That's good. That's a good thing. I don't think that's quite what Paul is getting at here. Uh, If you know the letter to 1 Corinthians, uh, he actually spends the first couple of chapters speaking to the church about wisdom. The church is a bit obsessed with impressive looking people, people who have great speeches, they have great tone of voice, and they say things that sound really impressive. Wisdom. And Paul says, no, no, that's not wisdom. Don't run after worldly wisdom. Don't try and be impressive and wise and philosophical. He says, no, this is the wisdom we come with. And in chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, a stumbling block to Jews, sorry, and foolishness to, to the Gentiles. So what's Paul saying about words of wisdom? I think he's primarily talking about true wisdom that's rooted in the gospel. I think he's talking about how the Spirit opens our eyes to see the truths of who Jesus is and how that affects each one of us. And so what might words of wisdom look like as we gather together? Well, it might be a scripture that is brought to mind. It might be as someone is sharing something, you think, actually, there's, I think God wants to bring a truth out in that, a truth about who Jesus is and lift our eyes to him again. What about words of knowledge? Well, wisdom and knowledge, they feel like they sit quite closely together and they're next to each other here. Uh, In chapter 14, Paul will speak about knowledge in kind of the same breath as prophecy and revelation. I think, unfortunately, I don't think these are neat, very strict categories. Paul is speaking around certain things the Spirit does. But what it seems to be, again, is God revealing to his people things that build us up and point us back to him. Telling us things that we wouldn't know otherwise. So he spiritually gives us knowledge. It's a a revelatory thing. That's a hard word to say. It's a revealing thing. And so you might uh, uh, get a sense that actually there's someone in the room God wants to speak to. You might get a sense that actually someone in the last week, maybe they've injured their back playing sports, and actually God wants to heal them. And so we need to give space to lay hands and, and pray for healing. That's the kind of thing that a word of knowledge might look like. God is opening up your eyes, not just for the sake of knowing something, but to bring us back to him, to let us meet with him again. Now, we'll come on to prophecy a bit in a bit, but with, with all these things when we hear from God, we, we, we weigh them together as a church family. We, we say, actually, God, what are you saying there? Because in this time, we see in part, we prophesy in part, we, we've got to ask God and work it out, but we'll come back to that. But what we should be, is expecting that God wants to speak to us. We shouldn't be hesitant, we should be expectant. That God does want to speak to us with words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Verse 9. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles. What's the gift of faith? Well, you might be thinking, don't all Christians have faith? Yes. Every Christian must have faith. You've got to believe in Jesus. That's what being a Christian is. That's one good definition of it. This is talking about special faith. This is talking about moments where for particular individuals or particular groups, actually God gives you the strength to deeply believe that he will act in a certain way. Maybe a miracle of provision. Maybe for healing. Maybe for something else. Uh, It often drastically affects how we pray. And it's often linked to the next two gifts. So the next gift is healing. Gifts of healing. Now that kind of does what it says on the tin, I guess more than most of the gifts. God loves to miraculously, physically heal people. Now that's a taste of the future. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the Spirit's poured out, it's a promise fulfilled, but also a promise of what's yet to come. It's a taste of that future. And even though it's only a taste, it's a wonderful taste. God loves to heal physically today. What about miracles? 
Well, healing is, of course, a miracle. I think miracles is kind of a catch-all term for everything else miraculous that God wants to do. Okay? I think Paul said, and miracles. There's also miracles that God wants to do. Maybe he wants to provide wonderfully. We pray that God will provide financially. That's sometimes we, we've got to ask God for miracles around those things, personally or as a church, don't we? It's also uh, praying that people be freed from demonic influence. If something's got a foothold in our lives, actually we pray in faith, no, Lord, do a miracle there. That's a work of God. A miracle is something that we can't do humanly. It's a work of God. And so miracles seems to be a bit of a catch-all term. But remember, all of these gifts so far, they're good for one another. That's the point. Words of wisdom and knowledge, they point us back to Jesus. They bring us back to him. Healing is so good. People who are sick, who are plagued by illness, actually God in time breaks out and heals people who are yeah, to step out in provision or uh, miraculous liberation from certain things. They're good things that God wants to do. Let's keep moving through. How about verse, uh, halfway through verse 10? To another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. Again, prophecy seems to be a bit of a catch-all term. Paul will use prophecy in in a number of ways over the next few chapters. But what it always seems to mean is God speaking to his people. We have a God who loves to speak to us. That's a wonderful truth. That is a wonderful privilege. And I think it's such an important truth. In three weeks, we're going to do a whole sermon on it. Okay, So we're not going to focus on prophecy now because I think it's so central to being the people of the Spirit and spoken about in many different ways across the Bible, we're going to focus on that another time. But, but simply to say, it's a wonderful privilege that God loves to speak to us, his people. Now, as I said before, we see in part, we prophesy in part, so we need to weigh these things as a church family. We say, God, what's being said there? How do we work that through? How do we know what's of you that we want to hold on to and take seriously? How do we know what's not of you that actually we think, oh, I'm not sure that is um, right. Uh, How do we do that well? So that's an important part of prophecy. Uh, We can't stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and just trick people into, "That that must be the word of God and there's no question about it. No, the New Testament speaks very clearly in these chapters and elsewhere. We weigh these things. We ask God. But God loves to speak to his people. What about distinguishing between spirits? Now, this is um, probably one of the trickiest ones to work out what Paul initially meant by this. Does he mean it's a special insight that certain people have to know what is God working and what is demonic or, or, or not God working? It might mean that. It's possible that it means that. God seems to do that. He seems to give people special revelation to see uh, things that we we might not be able to see or get a sense of things. It could also be a pair with prophecy. We have tongues and interpretation of tongues. That's what comes next. And here we have prophecy and the discernment of spirits. And there could be a pair where just as God, by his spirit, uses an individual to speak to the church... So God, by his spirit, is with us as we weigh and discern and bring shape to a prophetic word. Either way, God wants to do good to open our hearts to see what he is doing and to step out in it. I think both of the things I mentioned we see across the New Testament. I'm not sure which he's talking about here, but I think both of those things are good. Uh, At the end of verse 10, just coming coming into the end of the list now. Sorry if you're enjoying the list. 
Uh, he says to another tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. So he finally got to tongues. Um, Gordon Fee in his book cheekily says this is the problem child of the Corinthian church. It's the gift that they'd become a bit obsessed with and Paul very deliberately puts it at the end of the list. Not because it's the least important, but because he's making a point there are many wonderful gifts. And in our diversity, we display something beautiful about God. And so he brings it here at the end, tongues and the paired gift, interpretation of tongues. Now, if you are new to following Jesus, maybe you're exploring following Jesus, um, the word tongues is such a weird word, okay? That's an old English word, which a modern day we would just say languages. An old English gentleman would say, oh, they've spoken a foreign tongue, yeah? It just means they've spoken a foreign language, a different language. But because Christians kind of, we've been saying tongues for a while, we get hung up on that word. But what, it, what does it mean to speak in tongues or various kinds of tongues? Well, it seems clear, actually, from the next two chapters that Paul is talking about languages which are usually not understood by other humans. Occasionally, they are. In Acts 2 and Pentecost, people spoke languages they didn't know. God supernaturally let them speak different human languages. But primarily, Paul seems to be talking here about languages that he calls at one point angelic languages, things humans don't tend to understand. But they're a gift because they help us to express prayers in our hearts or praise in our hearts to God in ways that words can't. And that's a gift, Paul says later on in chapter 14, that is good for each of us in our personal prayer lives. And I personally love to pray in tongues. When I, when I um, just spend time with God walking and praying, I love to pray in tongues, to spend time with God and express things in my heart to God that my words can't do. But Paul says, uh, specifically here and then later in chapter 14, in the gathered context, he gives tongues, which are languages that we don't actually understand with our ears. But then he also gives interpretation of tongues, where a few of us, maybe one, maybe a few, will think, actually, I have a sense in my spirit of what's being said there, and I'll come and bring the interpretation. And so that's what the gift seems to be. It's a wonderful gift that when interpretation comes, it encourages us. Now, prophecy is God speaking to us, Tongues is a kind of prayer language, so it's us speaking to God. That's one of the differences um, between them. And it's a wonderful gift uh, and uh, when paired with interpretation to build one another up. Okay, list over. Well done. I wanted to go through all of them because I don't want to take for granted that we kind of... Many of us have been in um, this church family or church family similarly, uh, uh, similar to this one, and it's easy to take for granted. We all know what we're talking about. Um, but I wanted to go through that. Now, that might prompt some questions. Brilliant. Let's talk about them. This isn't going through the fullness of everything to do with spiritual gifts this morning. It's not. It's just scratching the surface. But what's clear is that Paul says these gifts are gifts. They're good things that the Spirit gives us because he wants to build us up together. So as we end, let's just read verse 11, the final verse of our passage. And let's sum up some of those things we've been looking at. And then we're going to respond. And we're going to respond by expecting God to build us up and to give us gifts and to be with us by his spirit. So verse 11 ends like this. So just finish the list and then he says, all these, all these gifts, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Just be clear, 
I kind of alluded to this already, but two weeks ago when we started this series on the Holy Spirit, I said the Spirit is a fulfillment of the great promises of the Old Testament. God is with us. The Spirit's been poured out. He's finally with his people in the way he wanted to be. But the Spirit is also a promise of more to come. Remember? We live in the now and the not yet. And so we prophesy, but in part. We see things, but as Paul will say, like in a mirror, dimly. We see things, but not fully. God heals miraculously, but not every time. And so we're in this in-between phase of now where God is working, but we're not in the fullness of what is happening. And so he must approach the gifts of the Spirit with humility. In verse 11, he says, the Spirit gives the gifts to those as he wills. This is the will of God, not of us. Can't force God to do anything, can we? But if I'm honest, for most of us, our expectations don't need to be dampened, they need to be raised. Because they, there is a now. There's a not yet, definitely. <laughs> There's a not yet, definitely. But there is a now. And we need to be saying, God, what do you have for us now? God, what are the things? Because if they really are good... And if they are really for our encouragement, for our building up, for our preparing to step out and doing the work of his kingdom, then we want them. God, would you give us the fullness of what is for now as we have to kind of hold the mystery of what isn't yet? And so for most of us, actually, it's not a lowering of expectations we need. It's a raising. There's more that you want to do, Lord. And so let us come to this with a heart that remembers their good gifts. They're spiritual gifts. They're of the Holy Spirit. God among his people who wants to do good things. And I'll end on this. Doesn't the gifts of the Spirit remind you of someone? A person who walked around and spoke with wisdom and knowledge which turned the world on its head for 2,000 years. Doesn't this remind you of Jesus? The way he spoke, the way he met with people, the way he interacted, the way that he healed people who had been debilitated by illness, sometimes for their whole lives. The way that he did miracles which freed people from things that oppressed them for years upon years. The way that he didn't speak the words of God, he was the word of God. That he came and met people as God. Doesn't this remind you of someone? It makes sense. The spirit is called the spirit of Christ as well as the spirit of God. And so as we come to remembering, are the gifts good? Are they scary? Maybe they've let me down before. Maybe these things have hurt me before. No, we come and remember in the right context, used in the right way for the sake of one another, not for me, but for us. Remember, actually, the use of the gifts of the Spirit should look like Christ among us. It should look like Jesus is here doing good to his people. Why? Because that's exactly what the Spirit among us is. He said, it's better that I go so that another will come. The Spirit, who is God's Holy Spirit. So we're going to respond. If the bands want to jump up um, and uh, we'll go into uh, worship in a moment. I'd love us to respond. Now we could end uh, a message like this and we could say, God, what are the gifts you got for me? I don't think that would be appropriate. God, what are the gifts you have for us? I think that's the question. What are the things you want to bring us as a people? What are the ways you want to build us up as a people? And so that's the first thing we're going to ask. The second thing we're going to ask is, some of you will say, look, actually, it sounds, what I've heard this morning, maybe what I heard last week, uh, the week before, about the Holy Spirit, how uh, we looked wonderful things last week, Phil looked at how the Holy Spirit brings us into this knowing of the love of the Father, this relationship with God. He's not a spirit, he's God's spirit. 
Um, the first week we talked about the promise fulfilled, God with us, the privilege of that. And maybe you think, look, I don't know anything of that reality. I believe in Jesus, but I don't know anything of the, this, this in my life. It doesn't affect me, but I want it to. I want to meet with the Holy Spirit. We're also going to pray that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to give an opportunity. Maybe you feel, I used to know that, but I don't know that anymore. I'm going to pray for that. The Bible sometimes calls that baptism of the Spirit. Sometimes calls it being filled with the Spirit. It calls it lots of different things. But that's what we're going to pray for, that you would know the experienced reality of God with you, which looks like many things, but it does look like something. So we're going to pray for that. And then we're going to go see where we go from there. Okay? So why don't we stand if we're able to stand and you'd like to. And I don't know, Gaz, if you're just able to uh, just be in the background for a second, but um, we're going to pray. For God to bring gifts by his Holy Spirit. Let's be expectant for what God wants to do. And so, Father, we pray, just as Christ has made a way to you through that one Spirit, we thank you that the Holy Spirit even now is with us. That's a promise of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is with the people of God. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that even now you're among us and that there are good things that you want to do among us. They might be outside of our comfort zone. They might not be what we're used to, but they're good because they're of you and you are good. And so I ask now, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on us and, Lord, you would give us as a people new gifts for some of us to be able to hear more sharply so they can share words of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. For others, even now, I pray that you are giving a, a, a new sense of faith for healing. Would you love to bring healing to people? Father, for some, it will be the gift of tongues. To bring an overflow of our hearts in languages that don't make sense to human ears, but that praise and pray to you. But Father, we're expectant. And now I'd love to invite if you, um, we're going to have a chance to step out in that. I think that's important to do when we ask God for something to step out in it. In a moment, we'll have a chance to step out in words of knowledge, um, in prophecy, in, um, in all the gifts, uh, to pray for healing. But, but firstly, I said, if there's some of us who feel, actually, I don't think I've ever been filled with the Spirit and I want to be filled with the Spirit. Or some of us who said, that's a bygone era in my life with Jesus, but I want to come back to that again. Let's be brave, and why don't you come to the front now? My, you guys who are life group leaders, um, Phil got in touch with you a while ago. Come help me pray if people come down, um, depending on the number. But why don't you come now if you actually want to be filled by the Spirit, whether that's for the first time or um, to be refreshed in that way because that's something which has become in your past. I'm going to wait for a moment for people to do that because I, do, I believe there will be people. It's just quite scary to come to the front of the TDA. I'm just going to wait for a moment. Brill. For people we've been um, just encouraging, life group leaders, come pray. <laughs> come pray with these people that come to the front. There's still time. If you want that, come.
we're going to simply ask, Holy Spirit, fill me. I'd encourage you, if you're wanting to ask that, pray for that yourself. Holy Spirit, fill me. Let me know you with me. Bring me gifts that you want to give me. For the rest of us, as we do that, we're going to, we're going to start worshipping Jesus, we're going to lift our eyes to him, we're going to sing. And then, in a little bit, we're going to move into a time where we're going to say, okay, who feels that God is speaking to them about things? They're going to step out to see healing, step out to bring encouragement through prophetic words. Um, if you have things, come bring them to Darvis, Chloe, to myself. Um, sometimes in mornings like this, there are just too many to all fit in. <laughs> so that's wonderful. Um, but come bring them to us and we want to we want to encourage one another with it. So let's lift our eyes to Jesus now. Let's worship him as we sing together. We'll probably take communion right at the end of the service this morning, just with slightly different shape. But let's let's worship Jesus together now and be asking God, Lord, what are you doing among us? Pour your spirit out. Bring gifts to us, your people. Amen.